Hi everyone, this is Robert. Welcome to The Well-Told Tale. Every week we bring you the finest science fiction and fantasy stories ever written. Today we return to The Golden Man by Philip K. Dick. Chris, the Golden Man, has been captured by the authorities for inspection and possible extermination. But they still don't know exactly what his powers are and how dangerous he may be. It's time to pull up a chair, relax and enjoy the finale of The Golden Man by Philip K. Dick. The chamber was empty except for the seated figure. Four bare walls, floor and ceiling. A steady glare of white light relentlessly etched every corner of the chamber. Near the top of the far wall ran a narrow slot, the view windows through which the interior of the chamber was scanned. The seated figure was quiet. He hadn't moved since the chamber locks had slid into place, since the heavy bolts had fallen from outside and the rows of bright-faced technicians had taken their places at the view windows. He gazed down at the floor, bent forward, hands clasped together, face calm, almost expressionless. In four hours, he hadn't moved a muscle. "'Well,' Bain said, "'what have you learned?' Wisdom grunted sourly. "'Not much. If we don't have him doped out in forty-eight hours, we'll go ahead with the youth. We can't take any chances.' "'You're thinking about the Tunis type,' Bain said. He was, too.' They had found ten of them, living in the ruins of the abandoned North African town. Their survival method was simple. They killed and absorbed other lifeforms, then imitated them and took their places. Chameleons, they were called. It had cost sixty lives before the last one was destroyed. Sixty top-level experts, highly trained DCA men. Any clues? Bain asked. He's different as hell. This is going to be tough. Wisdom thumbed a pile of tape spools. This is the complete report, all the material we got from Johnson and his family. We pumped them with the psych wash, then let them go home. Eighteen years and no semantic bridge. Yet, he looks fully developed, mature at thirteen, a shorter, faster life cycle than ours. But why the mane? All the gold fuzz, like a Roman monument that's been gilded. Has the report come in from the analysis room? You had a wave shot taken, of course. His brain pattern has been fully scanned, but it takes time for them to plot it out. We're all running around like lunatics while he just sits there. Wisdom poked a stubby finger at the window. We caught him easily enough. He can't have much, can he? But I'd like to know what it is before we youth him. Maybe we should keep him alive until we know. Youth in 48 hours, Wisdom repeated stubbornly. Whether we know or not, I don't like him. He gives me the creeps. Wisdom stood chewing nervously on his cigar, a red-haired, beefy-faced man, thick and heavy-set, with a barrel chest and cold, shrewd eyes, deep-set in his hard face. Ed Wisdom was director of DCA's North American branch, but right now he was worried. His tiny eyes darted back and forth, alarmed flickers of grey in his brutal, massive face. You think, Bain said slowly, this is it? I always think so, Wisdom snapped. I have to think so. I mean, I know what you mean. Wisdom paced back and forth among the study tables, technicians at their benches, equipment and humming computers, buzzing tape slots and research hookups. This thing lived 18 years with his family, and they don't understand it. They don't know what it has. They know what it does, but not how. 
What does it do? It knows things. What kind of things? Wisdom grabbed his lash tube from his belt and tossed it on a table. Here. What? Here. Wisdom signalled and a view window was slid back an inch. Shoot him. Baines blinked. You said forty-eight hours. With a curse, Wisdom snatched up the tube, aimed it through the window directly at the seated figure's back and squeezed the trigger. A blinding flash of pink, a cloud of energy blossomed in the centre of the chamber. It sparkled, then died into dark ash. Good God, Baines gasped. You... He broke off. The figure was no longer sitting. As Wisdom fired, it had moved in a blur of speed, away from the blast at the corner of the chamber. Now it was slowly coming back, face blank, still absorbed in thought. Fifth time, Wisdom said as he put his tube away. Last time Jameson and I fired together. Missed. He knew exactly when the bolts would hit, and where. Baines and Wisdom looked at each other. Both of them were thinking the same thing. But even reading minds wouldn't tell him where they were going to hit, Baines said. When, maybe, but not where. Could you have called your own shots? Not mine, Wisdom answered flatly. I fired fast, damn near at random. He frowned. Random. We'll have to make a test of this. He waved a group of technicians over. Get a construction team up here, on the double. He grabbed paper and pen and began sketching. While construction was going on, Baines met his fiancée in the lobby outside the lab, the great central lounge of the DCA building. How's it coming? she asked. Anita Ferris was tall and blonde, blue eyes and a mature, carefully cultivated figure, an attractive, competent-looking woman in her late twenties. She wore a metal foil dress and cape with a red and black stripe on the sleeve, the emblem of the A-class. Anita was director of the Semantics Agency, a top-level government coordinator. Anything of interest this time? Plenty. Baines guided her in from the lobby into the dim recesses of the bar. Music played softly in the background, a shifting variety of patterns formed mathematically. Dim shapes moved expertly through the gloom from table to table, silent, efficient robot waiters. As Anita sipped her Tom Collins, Baines outlined what they had found. What are the chances, Anita asked slowly, that he's built up some kind of deflector cone? There was one kind that warped their environment by direct mental effort. No tools. Direct mind to matter. Psychokinetics. Baines drummed restlessly on the tabletop. I doubt it. The thing has ability to predict, not to control. He can't stop the beams, but he sure as hell can get out of the way. Does he jump between the molecules? Baines wasn't amused. We've handled these things 60 years, longer than you and I have been around added together. 87 types of deviants have shown up, real mutants that could reproduce themselves, not mere freaks. This is the 88th. We've been able to handle each of them in turn, but this... Why are you so worried about this one? First, it's 18 years old. That in itself is incredible. Its family managed to hide it that long. Those women around Denver were older than that. Those ones with... They were in a government camp. Somebody high up was toying with the idea of allowing them to breed some sort of industrial use. We withheld youth for years, but Chris Johnson stayed alive outside our control. Those things at Denver were under constant scrutiny. Maybe he's harmless. You always assume a div is a menace. He might even be beneficial. Somebody thought those women might work in. Maybe this thing has something that would advance the race. 
Which race? Not the human race. It's the old, the operation was a success, but the patient died routine. If we introduce a mutant to keep us going, it'll be mutants, not us, who will inherit the Earth. It'll be mutants surviving for their own sake. Don't think for a moment we can put padlocks on them and expect them to serve us. If they're really superior to Homo sapiens, they'll win out in even competition. To survive, we've got to cold-deck them right from the start. In other words, we'll know Homo superior when he comes, by definition. He'll be the one we won't be able to youth. That's about it, Baines answered. Assuming there is a Homo superior, maybe there's just Homo peculiar, Homo with an improved line. The Neanderthal probably thought the Cro-Magnon man had merely an improved line, a little more advanced ability to conjure up symbols and shape flint. From your description, this thing is more radical than a mere improvement. This thing, Bain said slowly, has an ability to predict. So far, it's been able to stay alive. It's been able to cope with situations better than you or I could. How long do you think we'd stay alive in that chamber, with energy beams blazing down at us? In a sense, it's got the ultimate survival ability, if it can always be accurate. A wall speaker sounded... Baines, you're wanted in the lab. Get the hell out of the bar and up-ramp. Baines pushed back his chair and got to his feet. Come along. You may be interested in seeing what wisdom has got dreamed up. A tight group of top-level DCA officials stood around in a circle, middle-aged, grey-haired, listening to a skinny youth in a white shirt and rolled-up sleeves, explaining an elaborate cube of metal and plastic that filled the centre of the view platform. From it jutted an ugly array of tube snouts, gleaming muzzles that disappeared into an intricate maze of wiring. This, the youth was saying briskly, is the first real test. It fires at random, as nearly random as we can make it at least. Weighted balls are thrown up in an airstream, then dropped free to fall back and cut relays. They can fall in almost any pattern. The thing fires according to their pattern. Each drop produces a new configuration of timing and position. Ten tubes in all. Each will be in constant motion. And nobody knows how they'll fire, Anita asked. Nobody. Wisdom rubbed his thick hands together. Mind reading won't help him, not with this thing. Anita moved over to the view windows as the cube was rolled into place. She gasped. Is that him? What's wrong? Baines asked. Anita's cheeks were flushed. Why, I I expected a thing. My God, he's beautiful. Like a golden statue, like a deity. Baines laughed. He's 18 years old, Anita, too young for you. The woman was still peering through the view window. Look at him, 18. I don't believe it. Chris Johnson sat in the centre of the chamber on the floor, a posture of contemplation, head bowed, arms folded, legs tucked under him. In the stark glare of the overhead lights, his powerful body glowed and rippled, a shimmering figure of downy gold. Pretty, isn't he? Wisdom muttered. All right, start it going. You're going to kill him? Anita demanded. We're going to try. But he's... She broke off uncertainly. He's not a monster. He's not like those others, those hideous things with two heads, or those insects, or those awful things from Tunis. What is he then? Baines asked. I don't know, but you can't just kill him. It's terrible. The cube clicked into life. The muzzles jerked, silently altered position. Three retracted, disappeared into the body of the cube. Others came out. Quickly, efficiently, they moved into position, and abruptly, without warning, opened fire. 
A staggering burst of energy fanned out, a complex pattern that altered each moment, different angles, different velocities, a bewildering blur that cracked from the windows down into the chamber. The golden figure moved. He dodged back and forth, expertly avoiding the bursts of energy that seared around him on all sides. Rolling clouds of ash obscured him. He was lost in a mist of crackling fire and ash. Stop it! Anita shouted. For God's sake, you'll destroy him! The chamber was an inferno of energy. The figure had completely disappeared. Wisdom waited a moment, then nodded to the technicians operating the cube. They touched guide buttons and the muzzles slowed and died. Some sank back into the cube. All became silent. The works of the cube ceased humming. Chris Johnson was still alive. He emerged from the settling clouds of ash, blackened and singed but unhurt. He had avoided each beam. He had weaved between them and among them as they came, a dancer leaping over glittering sword points of pink fire. He had survived. No, Wisdom murmured, shaken and grim, not a telepath. Those were at random, no prearranged pattern. The three of them looked at each other, dazed and frightened. Anita was trembling, her face was pale and her blue eyes were wide. "'What, then?' she whispered. "'What is it? What does he have?' "'He's a good guesser,' Wisdom suggested. "'He's not guessing,' Baines answered. "'Don't kid yourself. That's the whole point.' "'No, he's not guessing,' Wisdom nodded slowly. "'He knew. He predicted each strike. I wonder—' Can he err? Can he make a mistake? We caught him, Baines pointed out. You said he came back voluntarily. There was a strange look on Wisdom's face. Did he come back after the clamp was up? Baines jumped. Yes, after. He couldn't have got through the clamp, so he came back. Wisdom grinned wryly. The clamp must actually have been perfect. It was supposed to be. If there had been a single hole, Baines murmured, he would have known it, gone through. Wisdom ordered a group of armed guards over. Get him out of here, to the youth stage. Anita shrieked. Wisdom, you can't! He's too far ahead of us. We can't compete with him. Wisdom's eyes were bleak. We can only guess what's going to happen. He knows. For him, it's a sure thing. I don't think it'll help him at youth, though. The whole stage is flooded simultaneously, instantaneous gas released throughout. He signalled impatiently to the guards. Get going. Take him down right away. Don't waste any time. The guards took up positions by one of the chamber locks. Cautiously, the tower control slid the lock back. The first two guards stepped cautiously in, lash tubes ready. Chris stood in the centre of the chamber. His back was to them as they crept towards him. For a moment, he was silent, utterly unmoving. The guards fanned out as more of them entered the chamber. Then Anita screamed, wisdom cursed. The golden figure spun and leaped forward in a flashing blur of speed, past the triple line of guards, through the lock and into the corridor. Get him, Baines shouted. Guards milled everywhere. Flashes of energy lit up the corridor as the figure raced among them up the ramp. No use, Wisdom said calmly. We can't hit him. He touched a button, then another. But maybe this will help. What? Baines began, but the leaping figure shot abruptly at him, straight at him, and he dropped to one side. The figure flashed past. It ran effortlessly, face without expression, dodging and jumping as the energy beams seared around it. 
For an instant, the golden face loomed up before Baines. It passed and disappeared down a side corridor. Guards rushed after it, kneeling and firing, shouting orders excitedly. In the bowels of the building, heavy guns were rumbling up. Locks slid into place as escape corridors were systematically sealed off. "'Good God!' Baines gasped as he got to his feet. "'Can't he do anything but run?' "'I gave orders,' Wisdom said, "'to have the building isolated. "'There's no way out. "'Nobody comes and nobody goes.' He's loose here in the building, but he won't get out. If there's one exit overlooked, he'll know it, Anita pointed out shakily. We won't overlook any exits. We got him once, we'll get him again. A messenger robot had come in. Now it presented its message respectfully to Wisdom. From analysis, sir. Wisdom tore the tape open. Now we'll know how it thinks. His hands were shaking. Maybe we can figure out its blind spots. It may be able to outthink us, but that doesn't mean it's invulnerable. It only predicts the future. It can't change it. If there's only death ahead, its ability won't... Wisdom's voice faded into silence. After a moment, he passed the tape to Baines. I'll be down in the bar, Wisdom said, getting a good stiff drink. His face had turned lead grey. All I can say is... I hope to hell this isn't the race to come. What's the analysis? Anita demanded impatiently, peering over Baines' shoulder. How does it think? It doesn't, Baines said as he handed the tape back to his boss. It doesn't think at all. Virtually no frontal lobe. It's not a human being. It doesn't use symbols. It's nothing more than an animal. An animal, Wisdom said, with a single, highly developed faculty, not a superior man, not a man at all. Up and down the corridors of the DCA building, guards and equipment clanged. Loads of civil police were pouring into the building and taking up positions beside the guards. One by one, the corridors and rooms were being inspected and sealed off. Sooner or later, the golden figure of Chris Johnson would be located and cornered. We were always afraid a mutant with superior intellectual powers would come along, Baines said reflectively, a Deve who would be to us what we are to the great apes, something with a bulging cranium, telepathic ability, a perfect semantic system, ultimate powers of symbolization and calculation, a development along our own path, a better human being. He acts by reflex, Anita said wonderingly. She had the analysis and was sitting at one of the desks, studying it intently. Reflex, like a lion. A golden lion. She pushed the tape aside, a strange expression on her face. The lion god. Beast, Wisdom corrected tartly. Blonde beast, you mean. He runs fast, Bain said, and that's all. No tools, he doesn't build anything or utilise anything outside himself. He just stands and waits for the right opportunity, and then he runs like hell. This is worse than anything we've anticipated, Wisdom said. His beefy face was lead grey. He sagged like an old man, his blunt hands trembling and uncertain. To be replaced by an animal, something that runs and hides, something without a language... He spat savagely. That's why they weren't able to communicate with it. We wondered what kind of a semantic system it had. It hasn't got any. No more ability to talk and think than a dog. That means intelligence has failed, Baines went on huskily. We're the last of our line. Like the dinosaur, we've carried intelligence as far as it'll go. Too far, maybe. We've already got to the point where we know so much, think so much, that we can't act. 
Men of thought, Anita said, not men of action. It's begun to have a paralysing effect, but this thing... This thing's faculty works better than ours ever did. We can recall past experiences, keep them in mind, learn from them. At best, we can make shrewd guesses about the future from our memory of what's happened in the past. But we can't be certain. We have to speak of probabilities, greys, not blacks and whites. We're only guessing. Chris Johnson isn't guessing, Anita added. He can look ahead, see what's coming. He can pre-think, let's call it that. He can see into the future. Probably he doesn't perceive it as the future. No, Anita said thoughtfully. It would seem like the present. He has a broader present, but his present lies ahead, not back. Our present is related to the past. Only the past is certain to us. To him, the future is certain, and he probably doesn't remember the past any more than any animal remembers what happened. As he develops, Bain said, as his race evolves, it'll probably expand its ability to pre-think. Instead of ten minutes, thirty minutes, then an hour, a day, a year, eventually they'll be able to keep ahead a whole lifetime. Each one of them will live in a solid, unchanging world. There'll be no variables, no uncertainty, no motion. They won't have anything to fear. Their world will be perfectly static, a solid block of matter. And when death comes, Anita said, they'll accept it. There won't be any struggle. To them, it'll already have happened. Already have happened, Baines repeated. To Chris, our shots had already been fired. He laughed harshly. Superior survival doesn't mean superior man. If there were another worldwide flood, only fish would survive. If there were another ice age, maybe nothing but polar bears would be left. When we opened the lock, he had already seen the men, seen exactly where they were standing and what they'd do. A neat faculty, but not a development of mind, a pure physical sense. But if every exit is covered, Wisdom repeated, he'll see he can't get out. He gave himself up before, he'll give himself up again. He shook his head. An animal, without language, without tools. With his new sense, Bain said, he doesn't need anything else. He examined his watch. It's after two. Is the building completely sealed off? You can't leave, Wisdom stated. You'll have to stay here all night or until we catch the bastard. I meant her, Baines indicated Anita. She's supposed to be back at Semantics by seven in the morning. Wisdom shrugged. I have no control over her. If she wants, she can check out. I'll stay, Anita decided. I want to be here when he... when he's destroyed. I'll sleep here, she hesitated. Wisdom, isn't there some other way? If he's just an animal, couldn't we... A zoo? Wisdom's voice rose in a frenzy of hysteria. Keep it penned up in the zoo? Christ, no, it's got to be killed. For a long time, the great gleaming shape crouched in the darkness. He was in a storeroom. Boxes and cartons stretched out on all sides, heaped up in orderly rows, all neatly counted and marked, silent and deserted. But in a few moments, people burst in and searched the room. He could see this. He saw them in all parts of the room, clear and distinct, men with lash tubes, grim-faced, stalking with murder in their eyes. The sight was one of many. 
one of a multitude of clearly etched scenes lying tangent to his own, and to each was attached a further multitude of interlocking scenes that finally grew hazier and dwindled away, a progressive vagueness, each syndrome less distinct. But the immediate one, the scene that lay closest to him, was clearly visible. He could easily make out the sight of the armed men, therefore it was necessary to be out of the room before they appeared. The golden figure got calmly to its feet and moved to the door. The corridor was empty. He could see himself already outside, in the vacant drumming hall of metal and recessed lights. He pushed the door boldly open and stepped out. A lift blinked across the hall. He walked to the lift and entered it. In five minutes, a group of guards would come running along and leap into the lift. By that time, he would have left it and sent it back down. Now he pressed a button and rose to the next floor. He stepped out into a deserted passage. No one was in sight. That didn't surprise him. He couldn't be surprised. The element didn't exist for him. The position of things, the space relationships of all matter in the immediate future, were as certain for him as his own body. The only thing that was unknown was that which had already passed out of being. In a vague, dim fashion, he had occasionally wondered where things went after he passed them. He came to a small supply closet. It had just been searched. It would be half an hour before anyone opened it again. He had that long. He could see that far ahead. And then... And then he would be able to see another area, a region further beyond. He was always moving, advancing into new regions he had never seen before, a constantly unfolding panorama of sights and scenes, frozen landscapes spread out ahead, all objects were fixed, pieces on a vast chessboard through which he moved, arms folded, face calm, a detached observer who saw objects that lay ahead of him as clearly as those underfoot. Right now, as he crouched in the small supply closet, he saw an unusually varied multitude of scenes for the next half hour. Much lay ahead. The half hour was divided into an incredibly complex pattern of separate configurations. He had reached a critical region. He was about to move through worlds of intricate complexity. He concentrated on a scene ten minutes away. It showed, like a three-dimensional still, a heavy gun at the end of the corridor, trained all the way to the far end. Men moved cautiously from door to door, checking each room again, as they had done repeatedly. At the end of the half-hour, they had reached the supply closet. A scene showed them looking inside. By that time, he was gone, of course. He wasn't in that scene. He had passed on to another. The next scene showed an exit. Guards stood in a solid line. No way out. He was in that scene, off to one side, in a niche just inside the door. The street outside was visible. Stars, lights, outlines of passing cars and people. In the next tableau, he had gone back, away from the exit. There was no way out. In another tableau, he saw himself at other exits. A legion of golden figures duplicated again and again as he explored regions ahead, one after another, but each exit was covered. In one dim scene, he saw himself lying charred and dead. He had tried to run through the line, out the exit. But that scene was vague, one wavering, indistinct still out of many. The inflexible path along which he moved would not deviate in that direction. It would not turn him that way. The golden figure in that scene, the miniature doll in that room, was only distantly related to him. It was himself, but a faraway self, a self he would never meet. He forgot it and went on to examine the other tableau. The myriad of tableau that surrounded him were an elaborate maze, a web which he now considered bit by bit. 
He was looking down into a doll's house of infinite rooms, rooms without number, each with its furniture, its dolls, all rigid and unmoving. The same dolls and furniture were repeated in many. He himself appeared often. The two men on the platform, the woman, again and again the same combinations turned up. The play was redone frequently. The same actors and props moved around in all possible ways. Before it was time to leave the supply closet, Chris Johnson had examined each of the rooms tangent to the one he now occupied. He had consulted each, considered its contents thoroughly. He pushed the door open and stepped calmly out into the hall. He knew exactly where he was going and what he had to do. Crouched in the stuffy closet, he had quietly and expertly examined each miniature of himself, observed which clearly etched configuration lay along his inflexible path, the one room of the dollhouse, the one set out of legions towards which he was moving. Anita slipped out of her metal foil dress, hung it over a hanger, then unfastened her shoes and kicked them under the bed. She was just starting to unclip her bra when the door opened. She gasped soundlessly, calmly, the great golden shape closed the door and bolted it after him. Anita snatched up her lash tube from the dressing table. Her hand shook. Her whole body was trembling. What do you want? she demanded. Her fingers tightened convulsively around the tube. I'll kill you! The figure regarded her silently, arms folded. It was the first time she had seen Chris Johnson closely. The great, dignified face, handsome and impassive. Broad shoulders, the golden mane of hair golden skin, pelt of radiant fuzz. Why? she demanded breathlessly. Her heart was pounding wildly. What do you want? She could kill him easily, but the lash tube wavered. Chris Johnson stood without fear. He wasn't at all afraid. Why not? Didn't he understand what it was, what the small metal tube could do to him? Of course, she said suddenly in a choked whisper. You can see ahead. You know I'm not going to kill you, or you wouldn't have come in here. She flushed, terrified and embarrassed. He knew exactly what she was going to do. He could see it as easily as she saw the walls of the room. The wall bed with its covers folded neatly back, her clothes hanging in the closet, her purse and small things on the dressing table. All right, Anita backed away, then abruptly put down the tube on the dressing table. I won't kill you. Why should I? She fumbled in her purse and got out her cigarettes. Shakily, she lit up, her pulse racing. She was scared and strangely fascinated. Do you expect to stay here? It won't do any good. They've come through the dorm twice already. They'll be back. Could he understand her? She saw nothing on his face, only blank dignity. God, he was huge. It wasn't possible he was only eighteen, a boy, a child. He looked more like some great golden god come down to earth. She shook the thought off savagely. He wasn't a god. He was a beast. A blonde beast come to take the place of man, to drive man from the earth. Anita snatched up the lash tube. Get out of here. You're an animal. A big, stupid animal. You can't even understand what I'm saying. You don't even have a language. You're not human. Chris Johnson remained silent, as if he were waiting. Waiting for what? He showed no sign of fear or impatience, even though the corridor outside rang with the sound of men searching, metal against metal, guns and energy tubes being dragged around, shouts and dim rumbles as section after section of the building were searched and sealed off. They'll get you, Anita said. You'll be trapped here. They'll be searching this wing any moment. She savagely stubbed out her cigarette. For God's sake, what do you expect me to do? 
Chris moved towards her. Anita shrank back. His powerful hands caught hold of her and she gasped in sudden terror. For a moment she struggled blindly, desperately. Let go! She broke away and leaped back from him. His face was expressionless. Calmly, he came towards her, an impassive god advancing to take her. Get away! She groped for the lash tube, trying to get up, but the tube slipped from her fingers and rolled onto the floor. Chris bent down and picked it up. He held it out to her in the open palm of his hand. Good God, Anita whispered. Shakily, she accepted the tube, gripped it hesitantly, then put it down again on the dressing table. In the half-light of the room, the great golden figure seemed to glow and shimmer, outlined against the darkness. A god! No, not a god, an animal. A great golden beast without a soul. She was confused. Which was he, or, or was he both? She shook her head, bewildered. It was late, almost four. She was exhausted and confused. Chris took her in his arms. Gently, kindly, he lifted her face and kissed her. His powerful hands held her tight. She couldn't breathe. Darkness mixed with the shimmering golden haze swept around her. Around and around it spiralled, carrying her senses away. She sank down into it gratefully. The darkness covered her and dissolved her in a swelling torrent of sheer force that mounted in intensity each moment until the roar of it beat against her and at last blotted out everything. Anita blinked. She sat up and automatically pushed her hair into place. Chris was standing before the closet. He was reaching up, getting something down. He turned towards her and tossed something on the bed, her heavy metal foil travelling cape. Anita gazed down at the cape without comprehension. What do you want? Chris stood by the bed, waiting. She picked up the cape uncertainly. Cold creepers of fear plucked at her. You want me to get you out of here? She said softly. Pass the guards and the CP. Chris said nothing. They'll kill you instantly. She got unsteadily to her feet. You can't run past them. Good God, don't you do anything but run? There must be a better way. Maybe I can appeal to wisdom. I'm class A, director class. I can go directly to the full directorate. I ought to be able to hold them off, keep back the youth indefinitely. The odds are a billion to one against us if we try to break past... She broke off. But you don't gamble, she continued slowly. You don't go by odds. You know what's coming. You've seen the cards already. He studied his face intently. No, you can't be cold-decked. It wouldn't be possible. For a moment she stood deep in thought. Then, with a quick, decisive motion, she snatched up the cloak and slipped it around her bare shoulders. She fastened the heavy belt, bent down and got her shoes from under the bed, snatched up her purse and hurried to the door. Come on, she said. She was breathing quickly, cheeks flushed. Let's go. Well, there are still a number of exits to choose from. My car is parked outside, in the lot at the side of the building. We can get to my place in an hour. I have a winter home in Argentina. If worst comes to worst, we can fly there. It's the back country, away from the cities, jungles and swamps, cut off from almost everything. Eagerly, she started to open the door. Chris reached out and stopped her. Gently, patiently, he moved in front of her. He waited a long time, body rigid. Then he turned the knob and stepped boldly out into the corridor. The corridor was empty. No one was in sight. Anita caught a faint glimpse, the back of a guard hurrying off. If they had come out a second earlier... Chris started down the corridor. She ran after him. He moved rapidly, effortlessly. The girl had trouble keeping up with him. 
He seemed to know exactly where to go. Off to the right, down a side hall, a supply passage, onto an ascent freight lift. They rose, then abruptly halted. Chris waited again. Presently, he slid the door back and moved out of the lift. Anita followed nervously. She could hear sounds, guns and men, very close. They were near an exit. A double line of guards stood directly ahead, twenty men, a solid wall, and a massive, heavy-duty robot gun in the centre. The men were alert, faces strained and tense, watching wide-eyed, guns gripped tight. A civil police officer was in charge. "'We'll never get past,' Anita gasped. "'We wouldn't get ten feet.' Chris took her by the arm and continued calmly forward. Blind terror leaped inside her. She fought wildly to get away, but his fingers were like steel. She couldn't pry them loose. Quietly, irresistibly, the great golden creature drew her along beside him toward the double line of guards. There he is. Guns went up. Men leaped into action. The barrel of the robot cannon swung around. Get him! Anita was paralysed. She sagged against the powerful body beside her, tugged along helplessly by his inflexible grasp. The lines of guards came nearer, a sheer wall of guns. Anita fought to control her terror. She stumbled, half fell. Chris supported her effortlessly. She scratched, fought at him, struggling to get loose. Don't shoot, she screamed. Guns wavered uncertainly. Who is she? The guards were moving around, trying to get a sight on Chris without including her. Who's he got there? One of them saw the stripe on her sleeve, red and black, director class, top level. She's class A. Shocked, the guards retreated. Miss, get out of the way. Anita found her voice. Don't shoot, he's in my custody. You understand? I'm taking him out. The wall of guards moved back nervously. No one's supposed to pass. Director Wisdom gave orders. I'm not subject to Wisdom's authority. She managed to edge her voice with a harsh crispness. Get out of the way. I'm taking him to the semantics agency. For a moment, nothing happened. There was no reaction. Then slowly, uncertainly, one guard stepped aside. Chris moved, a blur of speed away from Anita, past the confused guards, through the breach in the line, out of the exit and onto the street. Bursts of energy flashed wildly after him. Shouting guards milled out. Anita was left behind, forgotten. The guards, the heavy-duty gun, were pouring out into the early morning darkness. Sirens wailed. Patrol cars roared into life. Anita stood dazed, confused, leaning against the wall, trying to get her breath. He was gone. He had left her. Good God! What had she done? She shook her head, bewildered, her face buried in her hands. She had been hypnotised. She had lost her will, her common sense, her reason. The animal, that great golden beast had tricked her, taken advantage of her, and now he was gone, escaped into the night. Miserable, agonised tears trickled through her clenched fingers. She rubbed at them futilely, but they kept on coming. He's gone, Bane said. We'll never get him now. He's probably a million miles from here. Anita sat huddled in the corner, her face to the wall, a little bent heap, broken and wretched, Wisdom paced back and forth. But where can he go? Where can he hide? Nobody will hide him. Everybody knows the law about Deves. He's lived out in the woods most of his life. He'll hunt. That's what he's always done. They wondered what he was up to, off by himself. He was catching game and sleeping under trees. Baines laughed harshly, and the first woman he meets will be glad to hide him, as she was. He indicated Anita with a jerk of his thumb. So all that gold, that mane, the gold-like 
stance was for something, not just ornament. Wisdom's thick lips twisted. He doesn't have just one faculty, he has two. One is new, the newest thing in survival method. The other is old as life. He stopped pacing to glare at the huddled shape in the corner. Plumage. Bright feathers, combs for the rooster, swans, birds, bright scales for the fish, gleaming pelts and manes for the animals. An animal isn't necessarily bestial. Lions aren't bestial, or tigers, or any of the big cats. They're anything but bestial. You'll never have to worry, Bane said. He'll get by as long as human women exist to take care of him. And since he can see ahead into the future... He already knows he's sexually irresistible to human females. We'll get him, Wisdom muttered. I've had the government declare an emergency. Military and civil police will be looking for him. Armies of men, a whole planet of experts, the most advanced machines and equipment. We'll flush him sooner or later. By that time, it won't make any difference, Bane said. He put his hand on Anita's shoulder and patted her ironically. You'll have company, sweetheart. You won't be the only one. You're just the first of a long procession. Thanks, Anita grated. The oldest survival method and the newest, combined to form one perfectly adapted animal. How the hell are we going to stop him? We can put you through a sterilization tank, but we can't pick them all up. All the women he meets along the way. And if we miss one, we're finished. We'll have to keep trying, Wisdom said. Round up as many as we can before they can spawn. Faint hope glinted in his tired, sagging face. Maybe his characteristics are recessive. Maybe ours will cancel his out. I wouldn't lay any money on that, Bane said. I think I know already which of the two strains is going to turn up dominant, he grinned wryly. I mean, I'm making a good guess. It won't be us. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed The Golden Man. If you did enjoy it, then please consider supporting The Well-Told Tale on Patreon at patreon.com slash thewelltoldtale. There's a link in the description. I'll be back next week with another dark fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm. I hope you can join me. <laughs>